Welcome to Our Justice Journey, a podcast designed to educate others on how to fight for social justice as youth and beyond. Today, I'll be interviewing social justice warrior, Dr. Rose Brunda. Professor Rose Brunda teaches in the Master of Science and Counselor Education Program and serves as Associate Director for the Doctorate in Educational Leadership Program at Sac State. Her experience in child abuse prevention and school counseling developed her interest in social justice. From teaching at DQ University at Tribal College and consulting for UC Davis Tribal TNANF program, she gained insight to the capacities of resilient communities. Her book, What is the Color of Your Heart, and the co-authored book, Learning from Path of Our Better Selves, promote the positive identity development and cross-racial bridge building while addressing strategies for eliminating white supremacy. Lessons from her first teacher served as a major inspiration for her second publication, Speaking from the Heart, Her Stories of Chicana, Latina, and Amerindian Women. In today's podcast, Dr. Rose Bruno will talk with us about justice and love within education. You're an esteemed justice activist, and we thank you for joining us today. So our first question, of course, of course. Our first question is, do you consider that you had a career revolving around social justice? Um, Yes, and I would say that my life has been pretty much informed by absence of, and sometimes the presence of. Um, So with that, as I went through my my own career development, that how I engaged with every position I had, um, it enhanced my capacity to recognize myself as subject, Mm -hmm. um, to be able to, to not just go along with life, but to do something about life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so it, it was it was one of, of development over time of myself within within this world and this reality. Yeah, of course. I kind of like what you're saying. You know, I think like justice is kind of like a practice of love. You know, I think love and justice are intertwined. So you're kind of just saying like, that's how I developed in my world. And I was like kind of saying I wanted to do justice. So I think that's really, really beautiful. And going off that point, when you were in high school, did you imagine yourself doing social justice work as your career? When I was in high school, um, I think I was I was still figuring out who who I was and who I was in relationship to to this world. And, and as a, the daughter of migrant farm workers um, who was growing up in a community in which there were the haves and the have-nots, and and we we in some way had a I, I, I don't want to say harmonious relationship. Let's just say that it was a sense of we know who you are and you know who I am as long as everybody stays where they are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but as I got, I got involved um, and it started very early. I started, I would say, when the high school counselor came down to eighth grade and said, you know, we're going to put you in college track classes and started out with honors classes that uh, ultimately met my college entrance requirements, but not all of my friends who I was hanging out with were put in those classes. Mm-hmm. So the outcome of my life was very different than some of the Chicanita you know, girlfriends I was hanging out with. Um, and, and it put me in a, a different social circle as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I started taking positions of, you know, being band president, captain of the softball team, 
and then the first Mexican-American homecoming queen. Mm -hmm. um, where people now, there were those who responded very negatively to that uh, mm -hmm. because now it was, wait, we know where you're supposed to be and you know where we're supposed to be. And yeah. now you've changed that. Um, so, so that, that I think in a sense as, as, uh, still in high school, I, I, w I wouldn't have known what social justice even meant, though I was seeing what was happening with Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta and, and seeing the whole movement going on with the voting rights and all that, but didn't understand myself within that mm -hmm. yeah. until later. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you yeah. know, it was like just watching, just watching. Yeah, yeah, just kind of watching. Almost you feel like you're from the sidelines, you know what I mean? But then almost, yes. I feel like sometimes we grow to see ourselves in it um, as time goes by. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just like drawing parallels from that. A lot of people I've also interviewed previously, a lot of people talk about um, being kind of seeing injustices, like being put, like exactly what you were, you were saying, putting being put in different classes than their peers or their brothers or their sisters. Um, and that kind of sparks something in them to be like, hey, I don't think something's right here. I think there's inequities and that there's something I want to do to change it. So I think that's that's really beautiful. Um, what did you major in in college and how did that help shape your career trajectory? Well, my, my undergraduate, uh, I actually um, started out as a music major now I was I was a good trumpet player, French horn player, um, in the community that it came from. Mm -hmm. But once I got out there, realizing I was good uh, in the community that I came from. But once I got into college as a music major, I realized that all those other players down the road uh, from me mm -hmm. uh, were were a heck of a lot better. <laughs> uh, so I ended up with a minor in music but proceeded to get a, a degree in recreation administration. Uh, and and it's, it's uh, interesting because going to Chico State on the, on the academic scholarship, which mm -hmm. I know a lot of people would look at that as an oxymoron, but, but what, it, what I would say is that it, it, allowed, uh, it allowed me to foster what, what, I, what I love the most, which is people. I love being mm -hmm. around people, I love being with people, different types of people. Um, and, and being outdoors and, and encouraging people to play yeah. and to enjoy themselves yeah. and to enjoy life. Um, that was something that, that I, I think to this day, um, was, you know, like this afternoon, I can't wait to go out for a bike ride, you know, yeah. uh, get to get and, you know, that sort of thing. So, uh, it, the degree then later on with my master's degree in counseling, what mm -hmm. does that have to do with again, people? So, so ultimately finding that whole nexus of working with people that maybe they've got some, something going on in which they need to heal, but, but just finding that, that in my career that I've always tried to bring that sense of being playful, having fun, let's laugh, um, and, and, and that sometimes we, get, we, we forget why we're here mm -hmm. and what we're doing with each other. And, and uh, I was talking to uh, uh, some three teachers this morning uh, as we were looking at expanding our curriculum uh, that deals with eliminating white supremacy. And, and uh, one of the gentlemen, you know, it, it, he said, yeah, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I said, from our perspective, perspective, Native American perspective, it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of harmony. Mm. Uh, and, 
and so you're, the way you define happiness might be different the way somebody else defines happiness. And if your happiness means that I'm not happy, that's not good. Yeah, so, yeah. So the pursuit of harmony is that we can all be in harmony, you know, and, and now we're talking psychosocial integration. We're talking about hundreds of years of what we've seen happen on this nation, where we now find our happy spot with one, one another, mm-hmm. not just some over others, which is what we've been dealing with in terms of white supremacy. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we're just sharing how, how uh, I, uh, I heard the term, somebody was talking about black inclusion. And I just thought, you know, that it just feels so, so ludicrous to talk about black inclusion. Why should black people have to worry about inclusion? Because to me, is that from the moment that baby is born, you're putting on that child an additional struggle. They have to work for something that that child should already have. Mm-hmm. So, so with that, you know, that child is constantly working, 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 working against something that's right here. And, and so, so then when people say we're tired of being tired, well, no wonder. Because yeah. they're always having to face this. So let's deal with this. Let's take off the white supremacy so that that child doesn't have to worry about working towards inclusion. Yeah. The doors are open. Let's just activate all the beauty and, and all the gifts that you have. So I don't know. I see it from the other side. Let's get rid of white supremacy and leave the doors open for people to be who and what they are. Yeah. I think that's really important. You know, a lot of times I think when people talk about inclusion, um, especially, you know, like in regards to black people or just regards to other races or whatever it is, it's kind of like nobody wants to be included in white supremacy. Like, how about we get rid of the white supremacy? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's just kind of illogical. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So so it's, it's you know, so, you know, this next generation, as you as you think of, of who's making decisions in those boardrooms, in those you know places where those major decisions are made, right? And so to be fighting for inclusion in it and for a piece of, of you know, when we look at redlining and we look at you know all those different acts that have been exclusionary. Mm-hmm. Let's remove that, you know, and and the way of thinking that doesn't seem to understand. Um, that there were, are people with, that, with gifts that are being suppressed and, and that the energy it takes for people to have to have to lift themselves and to talk about having to be twice as good, that takes a lot of energy. Yeah. Uh, so, so when we look at the disparities, health disparities, uh, you know, with the African-American community, with the Chicanx community, with, you know, so on and so forth, finally people are talking about violence against the Asian American community to have to worry about going outside and being afraid mm-hmm. to not consider that that takes energy yeah. what that does to the psyche you know um, you know that they, so they're they're not even considering what that means in terms of just the day-to-day living on mm-hmm. on your spirit on, on your psyche so, so for me, it, it, it does come to eliminating white supremacist ideology, uh, which is very fear-based, very fear-based. Um, so how do we address that sort of primal thinking that continues to reify itself uh, by, by trying to be exclusionary? And that's something exerted. 
mm-hmm. right? That's energy exerted that could be directed elsewhere in terms of their own healing themselves. Yeah. It's kind of like you're, you're like giving energy to take someone else's energy away. It's almost like, I think white supremacy, the thing about it is it's so counterproductive, you know what I mean? But it's also, it's, it's also productive in a lot of ways for a group of people. That's why. And I also think kind of, you were talking about comfortability. It's kind of like, I feel like white supremacy has been normality for so long that people are afraid, so to say, to get uncomfortable about it. You know what I mean? They'd rather just stay in like a little bubble and feed off of it and like be in the norm, so to say, um, when I don't think that really is the norm. If we look at the world, you know, before white supremacy, you know, that was never the norm or what it was supposed to be. Yeah, and, and, and with that, when uh, um, a, a book that I highly recommend, in fact, I learned about it through one of my doctoral students last year, uh, Dr. David Gutierrez, uh, he quoted uh, the work of Resma Menachem, who wrote My Grandmother's Hands, and he talks about the European diaspora and what precipitated um, mm-hmm. people uh, leaving and fleeing Europe. Um, and, and when you look at what was normalized behavior uh, in Europe, uh, when you look at the pogroms, when you look at, at burning people at the stake, when you look at cutting a, a person's hands off because they, they were, um, you know, they were hungry and, and you know, maybe stealing a loaf of bread to feed themselves mm-hmm. or their family, um, that these extreme behaviors were were brought with them and brought here to, to colonial society and then blown out to brown and black bodies. And so, so with that, that sense of, of behavior and orientation um, is, is something that still continues today. So when you look at our prison system, that we could see how backwards this nation is. When you look at, at studies that have looked at, that examine our suicide rates that examine that, that we have people that are very unhappy. When you look at addictions and all that, what's going on with what's, what's supposed to be one of the wealthiest nations in the world. Yeah. And yet, uh, again, another attack in the capital mm-hmm. uh, today, you know, um, and this, I, I think, inspired, uh, you know, by someone who feared the government, paranoia, uh, you know, so what's going on with, with yeah. this community that we're not, we're not providing the safe space for all people to enjoy one another. And what do we do sometimes when, when we get to that point of paranoia, people, they, they either inflict harm on themselves or harm on others. And we yeah. saw that it happened again today. Yeah. yeah so you see that. that mental health perspective of understanding how, how white supremacy perpetuates this behavior yeah. in others. Yeah, I think that's, I think it's very, that's very, very significant and always something to kind of think about, I think, that I've never really thought about in that point of view, when we are moving forward and all that good stuff. So our next question is, how did you, how do you teach from the heart within the classroom and beyond? Well, um, as one of the teachers that, that uh, we met with earlier today, one of the eighth grade teachers, she, she said she, uh, she finished reading my first book and in which I talk about how I structured the classroom. And, and having been a school counselor myself, uh, much of what I would do with, with students 
when dealing with issues of um, race on mm -hmm. campus, as well as uh, gang on gang um, uh, friction, was the, that I would essentially get people sitting down in a circle. Um, and so, so with that, you know, making it so that we would have to look at each other mm -hmm. um, and then providing opportunities for people to get to know one another. It's hard. And then, and then remember that recreation background I told you about? So, mm -hmm. so think about this. If you're laughing with me and we're cutting up on each other and maybe we're getting up and we're doing activities where we're running together and, I, and you're having to carry my body, you know, along with other people. And then, yeah. and then we carry your body to another place, to, racing against another group. So you're, you're laughing just thinking about it. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and so by the end, doing all these little activities first, before we sit down and talk about why was it that we were supposed to meet after school and have a brawl, okay? Mm -hmm. So then we put away our, our knives, our guns, whatever we brought, because I'm just too damn tired, first of all, because you just made me do a bunch of running and all that. But now I've laughed with you. Yeah. I've been now, how silly would it be to now come up on you and hit yeah, you? 100%. Right? It, 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 yeah, it doesn't make sense. Exactly. It doesn't make sense. So what what have I done in terms of teaching mm -hmm. and and working with youth? And then also at the graduate level, where we're in a place where we're laughing with each other, we're engaging one another before we talk about the difficult issues. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so you got to create that relationship. Uh, and that's, that's part of teaching. And I, and last, last spring, uh, I was, I was scheduled to teach the, uh, uh, essentially the, the multicultural class for the doctoral class. Uh, uh, and it was fascinating because it, it was scheduled right after COVID hit. So I had a teacher virtually yeah, and, yeah. It, and it's hard when you're in these little boxes <laughs> to get people yeah. to engage in that way, uh, you know, doing the best we could. But um, when it comes down to face-to-face, -face, you know, I, I try to create those opportunities for people to laugh with one another, um, to, to get to know one another. Mm -hmm. it, it's easy, it's easy, and we, you know, go back to the white supremacy, it's easy to hate people that you don't know, yeah, and that you've been raised to fear, but if you know me, how can you, how can you hate me, right, mm -hmm. how, how can you fear me if you know me, and so, so that's where the, you know, sitting in a circle, creating those opportunities for people to feel safe in that space, and then, and then we can go and, and talk about the difficult topics. Yeah, I think I think one thing that's kind of like striking me, I think that's really important. You know, you always do like the game or so to say, you know, the building activity first, because I think once we get to know each other, we start to see each other's humanity and then we can begin to have compassion towards one another. And then sometimes we can have those difficult conversations and just kind of be like, you know what? I think we're kind of, you know, like I don't want to fight with you anymore. You know, I see who you are as a person um, and that's kind of changing my view on whatever conflict it was. You know what I mean? So I think that's just really significant and important and beautiful at the end of the day. We thank you for listening to part one of our justice journey with Dr. Rose Brunda. To further listen to this discussion, feel free to visit part two.